Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. It's the book right after the book of Proverbs. So go to Psalms, then Proverbs. And then after you find Proverbs, and right after that is Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. Let's pray. We certainly need the Lord's help this evening. Father, I pray that You'll uh, now bless our time together, that You'll help us now as we look into Your Word, that You will, uh, Lord, do a work in our hearts and in our lives that only You can do. I pray that we'd give You the freedom and the liberty, O Lord, to have free access to every area of our life. And I pray as we would look into uh, now uh, this matter of examining ourselves, I pray that uh, Lord, you would help us uh, to see if there are areas in our life that need improvement, if there are areas where we're, uh, where we think we have victory, but we're actually living uh, as victims. And Lord, I pray again for the many that are unable to be here tonight. Lord, you know each and every one, uh, you know each and every need, and I pray that you'll just bless us as only you can. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so far... In our uh, From Victim to Victor series, uh, we've looked at uh, seven, uh, six or seven uh, different things. Now we've looked at the edge. <clears throat> I'm going to give them to you and we'll go back and I'm going to give them to you again. We've looked at the edge, the enemy, the errors, the expense, the exchange, and the establishment. Now, I step back into those again. We looked at the edge. That's the place uh, that seeks to make us a victim. We looked at the enemy. That's the push to keep us a victim. We looked at the errors. That's the path to staying a victim. The expense was the price for staying a victim. The exchange was the product of staying a victim. And then the establishment we looked at last week was the problem of staying a victim. So tonight we're going to move into part nine and we're going to talk about the examination. The examination. Ecclesiastes chapter two. <clears throat> Look with me. We'll read the first 11 verses here of Ecclesiastes chapter number two. The Bible says, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure and behold, this also is And of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born into my or born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all uh, that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, 
for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. We can look tonight this matter of the examination as the perception that keeps us a victim. In other words, our point of view is instrumental in our remaining a victim or rejoicing in victory. Now we will either have a biblical view of life or we'll have a life that's filled with bitterness and burdens. Now, I have to say this at the start, a biblical view of life does not free us from all of our problems. You know that to be true. But it gives us a more perceptive faith through which we can better address our problems. So our perspective, our point of view is paramount. And as I think about this subject, I, I want to give you an illustration about the about our point of view. Uh, it's from a, a magazine article. Brother Fugate uh, told me uh, a few years back, he told me about this story that he had read. And the illustration goes like this, the story that he read. Two shoe salesmen traveled to a foreign country to sell shoes. And when they got there and looked around, one called back and told his boss, this is a terrible place and I'm coming home because nobody wears shoes here. The other told his boss, this place is a gold mine. Send all the shoes you can because everybody that I've met is a potential customer. What made the difference? Perspective in the examination. And in this passage, we see this very wise man, name of Solomon, make some very foolish choices and chase after some foolish things. In, in verse number one, we see Solomon trying to place value on life by measuring how much happiness is produced by the things that he does. Solomon says that he will prove that happiness is the key, that happiness is the most vital. Now notice, it's he says he's going to prove that happiness is the key, not holiness, happiness. And in verse 3, Solomon decides to try mixing happiness and holiness. You say, how do he do that? Well, by mingling wine with wisdom, foolishness with faith, good times with God's truth. So let me quickly give you an outline of the 11 verses that we've just read. In verses 1 through 3, Solomon speaks of his great wonder. He, he wonders, well, you know, what is the key now to happiness? What is the key to a life that's mm, filled with happiness? In verses 4 through 6, Solomon speaks of his great work. Find all the things that he made and all the things that he built. In verses 7 through 9, Solomon speaks of his great wealth, all of the things that he got and that he gathered and that he had. And in verses 3 and ver verse 3 and verse 9, Solomon speaks of his great wisdom. Twice he mentions it in these verses. In verse 10, Solomon speaks of his great wants. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Talked about his wants. And in verse 11, Solomon speaks of his great woe. And Solomon reveals in, in these few verses 
the truth that a life's effort spent chasing happiness leads to vexation of spirit. And upon that comes the examination. In verse 11, uh, Solomon says, Then I looked. In verse 12, And I turned. Verse 13, Then I saw. And in verse 15, Then said I in my heart, As it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. Here's what Solomon found. You cannot buy or build true happiness in and of yourself. That's what Solomon found out. Happiness is more about alignment and attitude than it is about activity and acquisition. And the right perspective is found by having a victorious biblical view of life. Now I want to point out something interesting to you. Look back in verse number 4. In verse number 4, he says, I made me great works. But look at the next phrase. I builded me houses. And if you'll remember from last week, we talked about the establishment. We, we said the right foundation is essential. And everything we see here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, is Solomon building on sand instead of upon the rock. See, if Solomon had taken more time to examine the foundation, he might have been spared the failure of his folly. It's all a matter of right perspective. What we focus on and where we focus from is vital. You and I, we can spend our lives chasing after happiness. I know of many, that's, that's the whole goal of their life, is to chase happiness. But if we don't know what real happiness looks like, and if we don't realize where to look for it, we will simply end up frustrated victims instead of faithful victors. This, uh, the devil, this world system, our sinful flesh works tirelessly to keep us victims of unhappiness. You ever, you had that, you have, you've had that urge in your life. You're like, you know what? I'm sad. I'm going to go shopping. Well, if you're going to go shopping, I know the fellow you need to go with because he got a whole pocket full of money. <laughs> he's, he's right over here. And, uh, and so he's got a lot of money and, and it's, a, you know, and, whoo, boy, we can, we can, you know, be happy. And, and you ever have that, you know, I, I'm sad. I feel like buying something. If I buy something, I'll feel better. And then you go buy it. And in that moment, you feel better. And it's not too long after that. You're like, well, that didn't last very long. You know, I, I need to go buy something. You're not going to be able to buy enough stuff to keep you happy. And I'm not either. Well, and oftentimes we find when we consider now the fight that we face against the devil, the fight that we face against this world system, which always, this world tells you, do not be content with what you have. It's not good enough. You need more. Don't believe me? Every year they roll out a brand new model of cell phone. All of a sudden the one you have just isn't good anymore. Brother Larry's cell phone still one with the button on it, and it still works just fine. Yeah, not the one you put your finger in and, and do. <laughs> since you've got the rotary phone. That's Brother Dennis. Brother Dennis has the rotary phone. 
And you know as well as I do. You know, what? what's the saying? He who dies with the most toys wins. Wins what? Those aren't, you can buy all you want. It's not going to keep you happy. This world, it works to cause you and try to get you to be discontent with what you have. And our biggest enemy most often is our own flesh. Our own flesh. I think the devil gets way more credit than he deserves uh, for the decisions that we make. But you know, as a victim of unhappiness, where do we find ourselves? Unhappy with what we have. Unhappy with what we see. Unhappy with what we do. Unhappy about who we are and where we're going. This victim's mindset is a viewpoint of discontent that urges us to chase after the new and improved. It, 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 it tries to get us now to chase after the latest and greatest, seeking our happiness in life's what's rather than happiness in the life-giving who that is the Lord. So in Ecclesiastes, we find Solomon, the man who thought it wise, the, the wisest man ever. He, God asked him, what, what is it that you would have? And Solomon said, I, I need wisdom. And God gave him a bunch of wisdom. And here's this man with all of this wisdom, thought it wise to experiment with all the world's ways of perceived happiness. And if you go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 and verse 13, what you'll find is this is what Solomon has to say at the end of it all. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Here he is in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He says, I'm going to chase after everything that's going to give me happiness. And at the end, what does he say? He says, you know what? It, what we really need to do is just fear God and follow Him. That's where our happiness comes. Remember now from our study, our mission is not to pursue happiness. The more you chase after it, the farther away it gets. The more you grab for it, the more it slips through your fingers. Our mission is to pursue God. And the truth is, when we invest our lives following God and following the things of God, happiness will follow. Let me give you the verse again. Psalm 23 and verse 6. You know it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where's true happiness found? It's found in the Lord. Amen. Now, we all realize and we all respond to many different circumstances, problems, and difficulties throughout the course of life. We face problems. We've talked about that at length. When we examine our point of view as we deal now and respond to these circumstances, problems, and difficulties, when we examine our point of view in these, as well as the perspective of others in these, it becomes easy to recognize the difference between a victorious biblical perspective or a victim's bitter point of view. So the examination of our perspective as we go through the difficulties, notice that as we go through the difficulties, 
is vital. Psalm 23 again in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through, not around, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. See, here's the truth for us tonight. You and I are constantly choosing. Constantly. Say, what are we choosing? Faith or fear? Happiness or hopelessness? Delight or defeat? Contentment or crisis? We are constantly faced with choices that we'll make. Now, just because God doesn't do what you want to make you happy, isn't that a bummer? Just because God doesn't do what you want to make you happy doesn't mean you should walk away from God to chase happiness. Because our only hope for real happiness is God. So, with that in mind, how then can we stay victory-minded instead of sinking into victims' misery? And it's all a matter of honestly examining our perspective. You say, well, how do I do that? I am so glad you asked me. You didn't know you did, but you did. So let me give you a few questions to examine yourself with that will help you now to determine what perspective do I have. Do I have the perspective of a victim? Or do I have the perspective of a victor? And these questions, when we honestly examine ourselves with these questions, my goodness, they shed a lot of light onto the subject. Number one, question number one, here it comes. Am I truly serving God? Question number one, am I truly serving God? Now, you know, often when we come to the Word of God, we look specifically at what the Word of God says. But for this first point, I want to show you something that the Word of God doesn't say. The Word of God never mentions. And it's a glaring omission that really shows now what's going on. Because nowhere in our text do we find Solomon consulting the Lord. In the 11 verses we read, nowhere has Solomon spoken to the Lord. But we do find him confiding in his own wisdom. Nowhere do we find Solomon speaking of the greatness of God. But what we do see is Solomon seeking his own greatness. Nowhere do we find Solomon giving glory to God, but trying to gather his own glory. You can read through it. Hey, nobody ever in Jerusalem had it any better than me. Nobody had greater than me. Nobody was wiser than me. Here's Solomon. So the question becomes, was Solomon truly serving God? And in this instance, no. Solomon was serving Solomon. I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee. I thought that was God's job. To tell us the steps that we should take and to do uh, this examining. See, we live in a day where so many have this backwards, just as Solomon did here in this instance, this corrupt mindset of foolish entitlement that we are the owners and God owes us everything we want. 
And often our prayers are a very good indicator of that. This idea, this weird idea that somehow God, the Creator of all, somehow God is now our servant, some sort of heavenly butler to do our bidding. And I remind us tonight, friends, Jesus paid it all, all to Him we owe. Colossians 1 and verse 16, the Bible says, For by Him were all things created that are in the heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. In Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do, of His good pleasure. And we look in Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, Solomon, he, he never talked to God. He never consulted God. But this was the idea that he had in, in his head. And this question, am I truly serving God? Let me tell you tonight, the victim looks for God to serve him. The victor loves to serve God. There, there's, and you, you have to ask yourself, well, which one of those am I, honestly, humbly, truly? Am I truly serving God or am I expecting God to be my servant? The victim looks for God to serve him. The victor loves to serve God. Question number two. Some of you look at me like you're nervous, like we're going to be here over an hour like we were Sunday night. No, you got to set a record for long sermon of the year, and that was Sunday night. So I told some. My wife was like, "Wow," she said that 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 went a little a little long. I said, "Yeah, I, I know it did, but there was no place to stop and and pick it up the next time, so we just pressed through it." And y'all be thankful, I did that the week before Super Bowl Sunday. So number one, question number one, am I truly serving God? Question number two, am I truly avoiding sin? So with that first question, we looked at some things that we didn't see in the text. In these next questions, we're going to look at what we do see in the text. So question number two, am I truly avoiding sin? Verse one, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. Can I ask you a question tonight? Thank you. How many, <laughs> how many of you enjoy pleasure? How many of you like being happy? How many of you wake up in the morning and go, boy, I hope I'm miserable today? <laughs> Solomon says, he said, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, Therefore, enjoy pleasure. That word mirth, it's an interesting word. It implies not just happiness, but it it implies with it noise and excitement. You'll never find mirth talked about in quiet. Mirth is always a, a loud production. It implies noise and excitement that drives feelings. In this verse, Solomon is saying this. If it sounds good and feels good, 
it doesn't matter if it's good or not, I'm going to do it. That's the attitude of our world today. This attitude, this idea, I'm going to chase feelings rather than remain calm and content in faith. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 10, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. The thought here, if wrong things make me feel good, well, then they aren't wrong. And if right things make me feel bad, then they aren't right. But right and wrong aren't based on temporary feelings. They're based on factual truth. And we have to remember, be careful what you're tempted to chase. Or am I truly avoiding sin? James chapter 1 says in verses 14 and 15, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It kind of sounds like Solomon here. Whatever I see, whatever I want, I'm not going to worry about if it's wrong or right. If I see it, I'm not going to withhold it from myself. He said, I withheld not my heart from any joy. It says in James, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know as well as I do that sin promises pleasure and happiness. But sin pays out deadly dividends both here on earth and in eternity. Now I want you to notice something here. Solomon was given this great wisdom and he kind of squandered it for a while. But then there was a fellow who had great meekness that God used. His name was Moses. And I want you to notice the difference between these two men, specifically now with this instance in Ecclesiastes. Solomon chose to seek the pleasures of sin with the people. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Solomon chose to seek the pleasures of sin with the people. Moses, however, Hebrews 11 and verse 25 tells us that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So for question number two, am I truly avoiding sin? The victim looks for sinful activity. The victor looks to avoid sin altogether. That question has to ring out in our head again. Which one are you? Am I truly serving God? Am I truly avoiding sin? Number three. Now this one's a a big one. Number three. Am I truly expecting trials? Can I just ask the question again? How many of you like problems? How many of you like difficulties? No, we just, we really don't. But the question we have to ask, am I truly expecting trials? Look at verse 3 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I sought in mine heart. It goes on to say to lay hold on folly. 
Solomon here in our text, he was looking for and living for the fun times. As they say in New Orleans, anybody been to New Orleans? We all got to get out more. As they say in New Orleans, laissez les bon temps rouler. My wife knows what it means. It means let the good times roll. That's the phrase in Orleans. Whatever I see that I want to do, that's a, it's all about fun. It's all about happiness. And you all know that we face difficulties in this life and there is no getting around it. Job chapter 14 and verse 1. This is an encouraging verse for us tonight. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And we know that's true. We all face difficulties. But how often in our lives do we chase the thrills and cringe at the troubles? Now, just stop for a minute because I see some of you getting nervous. It's not that we should love or live for trouble. That's a good thing. However, we better be looking and have our eyes set, is trouble coming? And we better be looking to Jesus when they come. John chapter 16 and verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you that in me, that's Jesus, ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Well, that's not a good thing, is it? What does he say? But be of good cheer. What does that mean? Be happy. You're going to have problems. I'm going to have problems. Look, and you say, well, what problems are you going to have? Well, just most honestly, let's all look in the mirror. I told you, our, our flesh is our own worst enemy. Leave me alone with my thoughts. Leave me alone with myself. And there's no telling what kind of trouble I get myself into. You too. Oh, I remember as a kid. Did I ever tell you I like fire? I do. I like fire. I like to watch it as it, as it burns, as it consumes the fuel. I, I like to watch the colors in the flames. I, I like to watch how it sucks the oxygen in from the bottom and feeds the fire. I, I like it when you wrap a plastic bag around a stick and you melt the plastic. Don't get it on your hands, but melt the plastic in there and get it on fire and then hold it up in the air. Use a Walmart bag. It works the best, I promise. And you wrap that Walmart bag around that stick and you put it in there and you catch it on fire. And you hold the stick up over the fire and as the plastic drips off, it goes vzz, vzz, and it makes noise. It's great. <laughs> when we used to go camping years ago, the first thing we did after we got the camper set up was light the fire. And that fire did not go out the entire time we were there. We were constantly putting stuff on that fire. And one one year, uh, one time we had gone out camping and we started the fire and uh, some friends of ours were there. They were in the next campground over and he had some soda in a bottle and he, finished the soda and he threw the bottle in the fire. He just threw, you know, it's an empty bottle, glass bottle. He throws it in the fire. I didn't think anything of it. We just left it, just kept the fire going. Well, when camping was done three days later, there was red coals 
There were red coals this deep in the ground, and we found that bottle. It was just a molten hunk of nothing, you know. And it just it burned so hot, you know, it melted. Did I, I tell you, I like, I, like fire. I like fire. It's destructive, I know that. I certainly don't want to spend eternity in fire, and I'm thankful for the grace of God that I don't have to, but I've always just been fascinated by this thing, uh, this thing called fire. Thankful for the cavemen that invented it. Well, y'all laugh, come on. When I was a kid, the greatest thing you could have given me was time alone and a little box of matches. And I would go out in the woods and I'd pile up some leaves and I'd set them on fire. You know, always small things. You know, I didn't want it to rage out of control and, you know, and end up having to be on the news and call the fire department and all that stuff. Just, you know, light some, light some leaves. And one time I was like, you know what? Uh, I found this mop handle. You remember those mops that had the sponge on the end? And the little plastic thing that came over and it would squeeze out the, that sponge and, and all that. Well, I found the stick and the mop part had been broken off. But there was that plastic nub on the end. And this is long before I ever learned about the Walmart bags. In fact, it was long before Walmart ever came to be. And uh, so I got myself this little fire going one day. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm going to melt the plastic off the end of that. I want you to know that I still have the scars on my fingers when that plastic melts, it's hot. Boy, I was having a great time melting that plastic until it dropped on my fingers. And you know what the weird thing was about that hot molten plastic? It kept burning. <laughs> you know, like a candle with wax and you get a little wax on you and the wax gets hard like that. Plastic doesn't work that way. And it holds the heat underneath it, and it just keeps burning. And, <laughs> and it's not getting any better. I still got the scars. I mean, good grief, that's 40-plus years later, and I still got scars on my fingers that remind me that, you know what, sometimes things that bring pleasure in the moment bring pain for quite a while afterwards. The victory in our life is not found in the absence of struggle and sorrow. We need to hear that. We need to remind ourselves of that because we're all going to face problems. We're all going to face hurts. We're all going to face pain. We live in a sin-cursed world. The victory is not found in the absence of struggle. It's found in the presence and power of the Savior. Yea, though I walk through. Who are you walking with? Am I truly expecting trials? The victim looks to get around troubles. The victor looks to God to carry them through troubles. The question is, which one are you? Which one am I? Am I the victim there or am I, do I have a victor's mindset? There. Let me give you one more. Number four. Question number four. The first one was, am I truly trusting God? Question number two, am I truly avoiding sin? Question number three, am I truly expecting trials? They're going to come. I better be on guard. I better be prepared. I better have that whole armor of God on each and every day. I don't know when the fight's coming, but I know it's coming. 
You say, well, that doesn't, that's not very encouraging. Yeah, but I have a Savior that will walk with me through each and every one of those trials. Amen. Number four, am I truly trusting God and His Word? Am I truly trusting God and His Word? Before I give you that, let me tell you. So I came down out of the woods with my fingers on fire. That plastic melted in, and I peeled the plastic off so I, you know, because in my mind I'm thinking, my mom is going to see this, and she is not going to be happy about this, so i got to come up with something. What, what in the world good would that do? So I come down and I told my mom, I'm like, yeah, I scraped my fingers on my bike. And, and my mom's like, those are burns. I can smell. She said, I can smell. That's a burn. No, mom, it's not. It's not. It's not. And like for years, I stuck to my story. And she still never believed me. Finally, when I was in my 30s, I came clean, and she told me she knew it all along. She said, I don't know why you even bother to lie. Can I just, just put that in a spiritual sense for a moment? We have a Heavenly Father that knows each and everything we do, each and every thought that we have. Now, why in the world are we trying to be like Achan and cover up the sin, you know, in the... T- just, I... My wife and I, we... we, we tried the best we knew how to raise our children with this one thought. And we told him this, always tell us the truth. If you're asked and you tell us the truth right out of the gate, things will go much better than if you cover. And you know what? It still didn't work for them rebellious heathens. It's almost, it's almost like they learned it from somewhere. Must have been from my wife. I never did anything bad as a kid. I just told you something that I did bad. So, of course, I mean, that's, that's that sin nature that we all have. Am I truly trusting God and His Word? Look with me, verse number 14. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 14. This is a great statement. The wise man's eyes are in his head. Isn't that awesome? Where else would your eyes be? I guess you know, if you're not wise, your eyes are in your feet. I, I don't know. But he said, <laughs> I just find this humorous. The wise man's eyes are in his head. But the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Look down at verse 26. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail. And you think about this with me for a minute. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. Solomon here saying, you know what? You've got these things. If you're a fool, you've got these things that you're not using. The, the wise man's eyes are in his head. I, I've got eyes. I, I know what to look at. I know 
what to look for. It says, but the fool walketh in darkness. It says, God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. The question here is, he says, the wise man's eyes are in his head. Are you looking through the lens of Scripture by faith or are you left sightless by sin's foolishness? See, it's not difficult to look at this world through the filter of the Word of God and see clearly why things are falling apart. Have you ever picked up on something, uh, you know, just going on in the culture, going on in the world, and, uh, you know, before everything just became kind of common knowledge, but you saw it coming, you know, like mm, 10 miles away, you, you saw this coming, and you spoke to somebody maybe about this, you told them about it, and then when that thing came to be, they come to you and they go, how in the world did you see that? Well, their eyes are in the same place as yours, right? This is the wise man's eyes are in his head. I, 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 they're, they're there and I know how to use them and I know what to use them for. You can look at this world through the lens of Scripture and see clearly the direction that this world is headed without question. You can see that things are falling apart, but here's the truth. You have to be willing to look. John chapter number 3, I won't ask you to turn there, but I'm going to read you a few verses. John chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let me give you two more things here about this. Are you truly trusting God and His Word? The victim would rather tell lies then listen to the truth. The victor listens to the truth so that he can look out for the lies. That question again, which one are you? As we consider the examination tonight, those four questions, are you truly serving God? Are you truly avoiding sin? Are you truly expecting trials? Are you truly trusting God? Do you Do I have a victim's perspective or a victor's point of view? And it matters. If you want to move from victim to victor, you're going to have to not only go through that examination, but you're going to have to shift your thinking into the right way of thinking, into God's way of thinking, so that you can now walk in that uh, path of victory. And Lord willing, next week, now that we've gone through all of this to look at the victim, next week we're going to start looking deeper into the endeavor of living in victory. Let's pray this evening.